if somebody's on my property and they're collecting up cattle, they know that there's a strong castle doctrine here and they're doing it anyways. Either means that they're confident that I will be completely unaware of what's going on or they've got some kind of security. Maybe that security is just, I'm going to hightail it and run as soon as somebody starts opening fire here. But that security could also be somebody in the bushes pointing a rifle at my front door. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead, thinking this was the life. All that there'd be After our firstborn You had to stay home That's when the work Got in the way for me Well I started Farm hop life You'll come to your farm To help and to wander Me and the family A truck and an RV Send us a message and there will be. This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRosier. Tonight, my guest is Warlord Rancher. He is an ex-programmer from San Diego. He left the city life for Montana. Now he raises a herd of cattle, pastured egg flock, goats, turkeys, and hogs. How's it going tonight? It's going well. So... Um, for the people that might might see me normally, um, I am running on backup power right now because, of course, the power went out <laughs> uh, right before we we scheduled this thing. And so um, I ran around. Of course, I'm a bad prepper, and my generator doesn't start. <laughs> and so I found uh, I got a little inverter for my truck. And so I drove my truck around the side of the house and threw a little inverter on it and ran the extension cord to the side. Like I need internet. I'm not missing this interview. So that's, that's why my, my office looks funny uh, than it normally does, but you don't really care about that. I want to talk to you about stuff. So um, your handle warlord rancher, we're going to, we're going to talk about this a little bit and I'm, I'm just, we're going to evaluate your warlord uh status i guess like oh. how how much of a war world are you so i'm going to ask you some questions and okay I'm a, i apologize i didn't prepare you for this whatsoever in other words you're going to force me to think about that uh that moniker a lot more than i have so far yes yes I exactly agree. so i've heard your i've heard you're quick so let's see how quick you are okay so first thing um you got a good beard so that's, um, you know, that's a good thing. That's a good quality of a warlord. Um, you're a rebel by growing your own food. And I'm sure a bunch of other things we're about to find out. And you live in the mountains. Those are all good qualities to have for a warlord. Um, so questions for this warlord. The signal of war, drums or a horn? 
What's your preference? Hmm. Horn, typically. Um, Carnix, if you have it. What's uh, that? But that, that tends to be more Celtic than anything. Uh, if you want to get into the more interesting war instruments, uh, bagpipes. <laughs> bagpipes are an instrument, instrument of war? I did not oh, know oh, that. Oh, yeah, very much so. I didn't know that. Um, okay, next question. Do you have a signature war cry? You don't need to display it unless you really want to. I'm just curious if you have a war cry. Well, one of my um, mentors for many years ago uh, had a fantastic war cry that quite literally stopped enemy lines. And it went something like, my nipples are hard. <laughs> now, that would when, I, somebody. when I say mentor, uh, I have spent many, many years doing uh, medieval combat uh, reenactment. And the action has gotten pretty heavy. Uh, now, we didn't use real weapons, but boy, oh boy, they leave bruises anyways. <laughs> I bet they do. <laughs> uh, and the 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 adrenaline is very real so it's it's a lot of fun but uh the group that i used to do that with kind of went woke recently so that's weird i'm floating that's how does a reenactment i don't know we don't have to go there unless we can maybe we talk about it in the after show sure um, <laughs> maybe maybe okay um, long and short i fight in armor Nice, nice. Uh, a specific time period piece of armor, or mostly Old Norse mail, uh, helmet, um, lots of uh, leather, um, uh, center grip round shield. That's my thing. That sounds awesome. That sounds super cool. Um, do you have a preferred fighting technique? Uh, depends on what I'm fighting with. I love a nine foot spear. I can, <laughs> I can do things with a nine foot spear that, that are frightening. I, I can only imagine like, uh, like, like a spear based on like, uh, like, like Spartan, like a Spartan spear or like a Viking spear or, um, well, like a leaf blade spear. Uh, uh, more of a thrusting spear than a cutting spear. But hey, if I if I have a cutting spear, I can use that pretty well too. Sure, sure. Um, so after winning a battle, what god, gods, entity, or beings do you give thanks to? Like Odin or something? Well, that's a pretty good start. Just uh, Odin, very definitely. Good. Yeah, uh, that's a good warlord. If, warlord if, we were, uh, if we were outmatched, but yet but we won anyway, Thor would be a good choice. Um, yeah, Tyr is always a good one to reach out to. Um, and then, but but uh, Odin is always the go-to. Sure, sure, it's the default. I gotcha. So, being a modern-day warlord, have you received money or supplies from the government? From the government. Yeah. Any government. No, I'm not a foreign warlord. Damn. 
but I receive money from tenants. <laughs> they bet they uh, think of you as a warlord. Like this, they don't even know who I am. <laughs> uh, how many child soldiers do you uh, do you command? Ooh, well, I'm running a little shy on that part. Uh, that's uh, that's not usually something that I do. Uh, child soldiers? No, no, no. Uh, I I much prefer well-trained uh, adults, and I do have some well-trained adults who who uh, uh, will fight alongside of me. That's good. That's always good to have. I mean. It's it's nice to have a warlord with morals. I mean, that's that you just don't see that very often. Um, more honor. How many? How many? How many wives do you have? How many wives? Yeah, how many wives do you have? Just one. Okay, just checking. This one plenty. <laughs> is it is it quality over quantity? Is that it? Absolutely. Good choice. Absolutely. So, last question. Rate the movie Lord of War starring Nicolas Cage. No, I haven't seen it. Oh, <laughs> well, I have seen The Warlord with uh, uh, Charlton Heston. I don't know if I've seen that one. Now, that one, that's a fine movie. That's a very fine movie. I, I will watch that if you watch Lord of War with Nicolas Cage. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to dig that one up. You, you, you probably won't. But um, that's it. That's all my questions. After after my review, um, I'll give you a nine out of ten on a warlord status. Well, it's pretty. Hold on now. <laughs> uh, this 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 means we uh, run into um, how shall I say, uh, ad lib territory, or just comment. what do you mean? Well, uh, you you have some answers. You have some material. We can build on this. Can you elaborate? I'm not. I'm not following. Okay, so you, you had a set of questions. I answered those questions. Answers always bring on new questions. Um, what would you like to know? Uh, you've seen my posts on Twitter. Do you want to dig into that? Do you want to uh, dig into some other material? Oh, I've got way, way more questions. That was just uh, my little. Um, the, that was the warlord set. That was yeah. That was my warlord set of questions and a little bit, little bit of a teaser. So I got, I got plenty of questions. Don't worry. I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't crap out on you. And I am working on a fortress, so coming along nicely. So, ex-programmer from California moves to Montana. How does like what type of programming? Why Montana? Um, why farming? All these things. I've have like take take me back. Walk, okay, walk me walk me through it. Um, so I got my my first master's degree in computer science in two thousand six. Uh, wait, was it? No, no, no. I started the program in two thousand six. Graduated in two thousand eight, uh, and I picked up and moved up here to Montana. Um, the kind of programming that I had been doing up to that point was mostly PHP and ASP programming, but web stuff. Didn't really go for it. Wanted to do something else, you know, something 
that wasn't so dependent upon tables and forms. And that was a lot of tables and forms. Uh, so when I came up here, I wanted to go somewhere where I had more freedom than California offered. Uh, you know, with California assault weapons bans, the taxation was terrible. Uh, the traffic was terrible. Uh, you know, for the longest time, I would spend two to three hours driving to and from work that if I didn't have to drive there, you know, during the rush hours, it would take me maybe 30 minutes either way. Uh, I just wanted to get away from that. I came up here. Uh, I worked at a community college as a as an uh, adjunct instructor for a while, um, and then uh, and then went and got my second degree or you know my my second master's degree. Uh, my first master's degree was from one of these schools, and it's like who's that? Uh, but my second master's degree was uh, from USC, a much more prestigious school. Uh, and I, I learned a lot of really cool stuff. Now, most of my classmates went and got jobs with Google or Microsoft. Uh, and I, was, I said, you know, I, I don't care what they're paying you. You can't work for Google or Microsoft in an office and be able to live on 10 acres of trees in a three-story house. They, it, it just does not exist there. Um, I got job offers for, you know, six digit income and, oh yeah, you know, we're a firm in New York uh, and we'd love to hire you for $150,000. This is like back, uh, maybe 2013. Mm. And I asked them, well, would I be able to maintain my current, uh, my current living situation? And I said, well, what's that? Well, I live on 10 acres in a three-story log house. And the guy, the guy says, well, no, but uh, so what can I afford for 150K? Uh, you could get an apartment in Queens. Why would I downgrade like that just to work for money that doesn't get me anything in New York? So, yeah, sure, I didn't make anywhere near as much money here, but uh, I, I did some creative investing and some fun stuff, uh, and I got by for a while. Um, I, For the most part, I, I worked on my own. Um, then my dad passed away, and my mom got Alzheimer's. Uh, luckily, my dad moved my mom up to Montana before this all happened, uh, and I was able to take care of her uh, with some substantial uh, monetary uh, benefits. You know, I, I handled her finances, but the understanding was since it was a full-time job, I was uh, remunerated, remunerated reasonably well through that whole time. Sure. And then when my mother passed away, there was a substantial trust, which I was managing, uh, that had grown extensively while I was managing it 
uh, and that has afforded me the lifestyle that I choose. Um, why farming? Well, I'm seeing a lot of push for veganism. I'm seeing a lot of push for uh, food shortages. I mean, for food shortages, that's, it doesn't make sense. Right. I'm seeing yeah. a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. And there is no security without food security. Absolutely. So are you, so you're, you're trying to fill a market. Um, I mean, if people want to go vegan, they go vegan. Obviously, uh, you don't, you're like, not, not my customer base. I don't care. Uh, right. but, uh, but the empty shelves that's and quality, like quality food. That's where I can step in and fill that. Yeah. Fill that niche. Yes. Nice. And we grow quality food here. Uh, we haven't come out to the local market yet, but our focus is extremely local market. Uh, we're not looking to ship food out to the next County, let alone the next state. Sure. So, uh, we already have a customer base and, you know, given what we're producing, we're having a hard time keeping up with our customer base. Our, you know, our shelves are empty all the time, but we're ramping up production constantly. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, so moving to you, like you're. Your dad and your mom moved to Montana. Was that before or after you had already moved to Montana? Oh, that was well after. Okay. So how did the, how did the like homesteading and farming, like get, get started? Like, did you, did, did you guys have a garden in California? Did you have to do it on your own when you first got to Montana or like what, um, what was that first step? Like what? How'd well, that, that I lived in a condominium in San Diego. Okay. Uh, the closest thing to gardening that I did was I grew some onions in the, the rain gutter. Uh, <laughs> not intentionally. They just kind of grew there. And then the HOA came and wiped them all out, which is kind of too bad, but oh well. Um, you know, I, yet another thing that I didn't like about living there. Sure. I, when I sold that place i moved up here and with the same money less about 10 grand i bought a 10 acre property with a three-story log house with shop space and garage space and all of that it was in the woods but the soil was good um the sunlight was fine uh i didn't grow a garden for a number of years there but uh, I, I had some roommates and started up a garden and that was, that was good. Um, but I didn't really get into it until, uh, until my wife and I got together and then, you know, put together some garden beds for her, uh, you know, after we'd gotten engaged, put together some garden beds for her and we grew some, uh, well, various things, carrots and beets and salad greens. And gosh, I can't even remember everything that we grow. Um, but having those things on hand 
right there, always fresh, was kind of a turning point. I'd always had to hunt through boxes of salad greens to find the one that didn't have the slime in it. Right. And that's kind of gross. <laughs> it, all that all that juice at the bottom is just that salmonella just just brewing in in those salad containers. That's what that is. Well, you know, somebody had to uh, do all the work to get those salad greens there. And the question is, what are the sanitary conditions of that? I don't know. Right. Right. So you, your, your motivations, it seems like to growing your own food is that there's a market for it and you don't want to eat gross food. Is there more to it than that? Is there more than just, like, I want to eat better and I want to feed people that uh, while, while making profit, obviously. Um, there is a little bit more. And uh, right now I have uh, about 190 acres here. And uh, it's looking pretty good right now. <laughs> looking but nice. last year, if you'd seen this, it almost looked like a desert. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, now we're not doing managed grazing right now, but that's because we're trying to build a house and we're trying to do so many other things, build, build a house, build a garden, start up all these projects. We've got a gazillion projects and, and, you know, once the cattle kind of got loose last spring, it's like, yeah, let them, oh, they're, they're just going to go through and do their own thing. Okay. <laughs> let them. <laughs> so, uh, we, we just let them graze and and but uh in the future we're going to be managing them more closely and restoring the pasture uh ideally you know you see all these pretty yellow flowers those are um plants that that pull nutrients from deep below up to the surface they're an indication that there's kind of something wrong here hmm. but they're trying to fix it which is a wonderful thing so uh, at least they're growing all over the place and doing their job sure sure those those yellow flowers is that um like mustard and stuff that that's popping up because i got that all over my place there's some mustard here uh but that itself i don't remember what it is uh okay. but yeah we curious. definitely do have mustard here sure sure so Let's going into like some like methods and practices and techniques that you operate at your um, at your ranch, I guess. Um, well, you're a rancher, so yeah, it's a ranch. Um, so you you said last year it, this where where you're sitting looked a lot like a desert. Um, how did you manage that? How did you turn that around, especially so quickly? Um, well, for one thing, last year was very dry. This year is not. Okay, uh, last year it was 105 degrees here uh for about six weeks starting mid-june um maybe it was more than six weeks because it just went on and on and on uh we haven't seen over 91 degrees this year uh and we've seen a lot more rain uh last year there were fires and whatnot up here like a lot of fires uh this year i haven't seen smoke at all so this is just a different year this is 
a normal year. Last year was a furnace year. So I guess it comes and goes. Sure, sure. I mean, you gotta take it where you can where you can get it, right? Like um, you know, I'll I'll take lower, lower heat, more rain. Sounds good to me. Turn my field field around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're so you got how many how many cows do you have? About thirty total. What what breed do you use? Uh most of our cattle are uh low line Angus. And we we got a a small herd of low line Angus from somebody in the Corvallis area. So um that that was a pretty good herd. Uh came with mostly cows uh and heifers, but a few uh few steers. Well apparently we got one fewer steer than we thought. Uh apparently the steering committee kind of screwed up on one of them. Now he's very masculine for a steer. <laughs> so uh we got a Dexter bull and Dexter on low line Angus makes very, very nice meat. Does it? Uh, I haven't heard that mix before. Yeah, very fine grained and just really and yeah, we we kind of decided that we wouldn't get a bull because they can wreck up things. This guy's such a softy and it's such a sweetheart. Uh he's wonderful. So that's our beef herd. You know, we've got one and a half bulls there. Um, and a, a few, uh, we picked up um, some bum calves off of a local dairy mm. and integrated them into our, well, first our milking group. Um, our dairy side, we have uh, three active milkers right now uh fourth one is a milker in training shall we say uh she's a young heifer uh we have two brown swiss and two normandies the brown swiss make fantastic rich creamy milk as do the normandies but uh the normandies make a a quality of milk that uh, allows creation of camembert and brie cheeses so we're thinking down the road about branching off into that once we get our commercial kitchen up and running. Oh, wow. That'd be awesome. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll have two uh, Normandies on the line by that point. Maybe more. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, we got a couple of bum calves on our dairy line Uh so that we could take vacations. I mean, we don't have to milk twice a day, every day. We could take vacations if we want to. The calves will take care of the milking enough so that we can not have to worry about it for a day. Uh, then they grow up, they go out to, uh, you know, once they're weaned, they go out to the beef herd. So we've got a couple of uh, Holstein steers and a, uh, half Angus, half Brown Swiss steer out there with a beef herd. They're fine, but they'll make good meat anyhow. Sure. Yeah. So you're 
do you do you like like oh man I'm, the the term just just escaped me paddock shift think paddock shift your your cows like intensive like intensively graze or like how do you do you shift all 30 together like at once like in an acre and move them every couple of days or can you go into some yeah. specifics there well we we did some uh, rotational grazing uh last year because i considering the quality of what we had here which was pretty poor uh we felt that we needed to get on it right away uh we were a little bit surprised this spring when everything just blew up and turned green um because last year it was it was scrubby brome uh, and everything was yellow by May. So we tightly managed them last year. And, you know, we'd, we'd give them, yeah, about an acre or so and move them either on a daily basis or every two days. Uh, the hardest part of doing that was moving their water supply, which we didn't we didn't really know a whole lot about how to do this stuff. We knew the basics, but the idea of, okay, we're going to put the water supply here where we can fill it easily and then have a corridor to where our grazing paddocks are that, you know, sure. It kind of creates a sacrificial corridor, but you don't have to worry about moving a big water tank around. You don't have to dump it out every single day or, you know, every other day move it and then refill it uh, and have to have hoses strung out for 500, 700 feet to get to the uh, water tank. Right. Right. Yeah. So what's your, is that different than what you're doing now? Right now, right now we're trying to build. So we just kind of said, well, there's plenty of grass and doing the rotational management is management intensive. It mm -hmm. takes uh, probably a couple of hours getting things moved from one paddock to another. If we were doing it the way we did it last year easily. Yeah. Um, so it is a fair amount of work and we haven't done the background work necessary to make it any easier yet. So we've got a spring way down there. There's a Creek that's flowing like wild that they have access to. Uh, so we just let them go. Sure. I, we have a good high tensile fence going around the property. It's electrified. The cattle aren't going to be going through it. Elk might, but <laughs> not this time of year. Uh, right. You do get elk here uh, in the winter months and early spring. A lot of elk, hundreds of them. Nice. And they wreck up pretty, nice. pretty well. Yeah, they're, I think that's their main goal. In that's why they're here as as a species is to yeah. wreck fence. Yeah, and eat hay. But if if, if they're coming in through a fence i'd rather they they come in through a high tensile fence that i own rather than a barbed wire fence that i own because that high tensile fence is super easy to repair sure sure yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense um so your let me get, let me go back to all your 
all your endeavors here. So how do your egg, uh, wow. How do your chickens, goats, and turkeys also fit into this mix? Well, right now, um, we basically have our chickens processing compost piles. And we have scoured the land for um, horse businesses and whatnot that don't know what to do with their manures. Mm -hmm. It seems that there are a lot of them. So we have kind of in our front pasture, we have uh, compost piles building up and they'll be used. Uh, that's, that'll help the gardens and, and, you know, we've got a manure spreader that we, we can uh, spread for pastures and whatnot. Uh, if we get an area that needs a little bit of help. Uh, but chickens love processing compost. Now, We'd like to get to a feed neutral setup where, say, we pick up uh, organic waste from restaurants and whatnot and then compost that such that the chickens can get into that. Takes care of the chicken feed. We don't have to worry about feeding the chickens anymore. They produce eggs. And what, uh, what gets left over turns into a very nice compost. So we'd like to get into doing something like that. Uh, it's just time setting it up. And we've got, like I said, we've got a lot of projects going already. Would you say that this year is more dedicated to infrastructure than it is to intensely managing livestock? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we're we're currently working on setting up all of our infrastructure. We have been here for uh, almost a year and we do not have a completed building other than the greenhouse, which is massive, but you know, a greenhouse does not make a proper house. No, it uh, it's, it's great for sheltering in the, from the rain, but it gets awfully hot uh, and it doesn't shelter against the cold that well. Um, so we're still living in a camper. We're building as fast as we can, but that's just it. When you're building as fast as you can, a lot of the other management stuff gets left aside. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's probably, I mean, let's say you have like, it's like a juggling thing, right? Let's, you have like 20 balls up in the air and you can only dedicate so much time to each thing. And then sometimes you just let the ball drop. Like, okay, I guess that one's not terribly important. Maybe I'll pick it up later. Um, but I gotta definitely keep these other 12 in the air while, uh, while trying to find time to pick up that other one. So, I mean, yes, yes. And, uh, you gotta keep the ones up in the air that, uh, you know, that mean, uh, and, animal survivorship and whatnot mm -hmm. so keeping everybody fed and watered and all of that stuff uh yeah sure we could simplify some of these processes uh but if it takes a huge amount of time to simplify those processes well we got to find that time right. to do that or yeah, everything gets the band-aid treatment until then <laughs> yeah well yeah 
Um, what, what kind of things have you tried that work well? Like a breed of pig or starting turkeys at a specific time and they finish out at a certain weight that works better or any, anything like that. Well, we've got turkeys, but we haven't really managed them very well. Um, you know, we're, we're going to have to have a conversation with the turkeys and see how they, they want to set up like, you know, what their long-term plan is because we haven't really gotten there yet. Now the hogs that we're running right now are Mangalitsa nice. and I like Mangalitsa a lot. Uh, just the flavor is exquisite. So I'm very pleased with them, uh, except for when they break out of their pen. I, I don't like them very much when they do that. But um, yeah, for the most part, they're good pigs. They, um, I, I wish I had more work for them. Uh, we have... A fantastic mix, like a, a, a cover crop mix that includes a lot of tubers and such sure. that we are planning on planting. And maybe we'll do it next year. And then that will give a lot of, uh, um, a lot of ground for the pigs to go rooting things up and whatnot. Um, pigs are fantastic for turning compost. They're wonderful for that uh so when it comes time to say move the dairy cows if if we've got um a bedding pile or something like that we'll just turn the hogs loose in that um uh, one of the one of the things that we should do and we haven't gotten around to doing it that much is spreading corn inside of the uh the bedding or other animals so that when it comes time to unleash the hogs and get them working, uh, they've got a good reward for getting mm. in there. But uh, like I said, the, the, we're just starting up here. So um, there are a lot of these processes that I still have to learn a lot about. Sure. It's like an experience thing where, you know, I'm, I think this is how I want to do it. And I probably need to make corrections along the way, but um, time will tell if this works yeah. or not. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we're, we're looking at a lot of different things. We're looking at food security, but uh, you know, if, if things get really bad and I don't know, I don't know how bad things are going to get or what's going to happen in, in the next five years. There's no way. Um, five years ago, I could have told you what would happen by now more accurately than I can tell you what will happen in the next five years. Things are getting strange out there. Uh, and, uh, it's one thing to have food security, but how about security for your food security? And that, that's, uh, that's a concern, uh, that, that we have here one of the lucky things is where we're, where we are is kind of like the end of the road. So mm. no reason to come here unless you're coming here. Sure. Sure. I think you had a talking about your security for your food. I think you did have a, um, 
you posted on Twitter not too long ago about um, people stealing cattle in Montana and like, mm -hmm. how do you, um, how do you fight that? How do you work yeah. with that? How do you prevent that? Um, that, that brought up a lot of, that actually gained quite a bit of traction and sure. I, I didn't get a the answers or anything, but um, it was interesting discussion for sure. Well, I, I read every single answer on that one, at least up to a point. Uh, yeah. But um, there were a lot of people who said, go out there and shoot them. Well, great. Um, Montana has a pretty solid castle doctrine. Sure. And yeah. if there are people in the commission of a felony, then you can use force to stop them from committing that felony. Uh, getting onto a person's property, breaking through their gate is considered one such. Uh, and being in a position where, well, sure, I can just go out and start shooting, you know, blasting away at them. Well, great. Okay, don't take this as legal advice, by the way, because I'm not a lawyer and um, I'm not saying this, this is a good idea because it's not. If somebody's on my property and they're collecting up cattle, they know that there's a strong castle doctrine here and they're doing it anyways. Either means that they're confident that I will be completely unaware of what's going on or they've got some kind of security. Maybe that security is just, I'm going to hightail it and run as soon as somebody starts opening fire here. But that security could also be somebody in the bushes pointing a rifle at my front door. Right. Anticipating an attack. Yeah. And that's, that's with law and order still in, you know, still in existence. Well, you know, but then it becomes a murder investigation and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So these guys take the cattle, shoot the owner and then leave. And who's going to witness it? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's going on in uh, South Africa all the time. They're getting away with it. You know, who's going to witness it? Who's going to do something about it? Where's the evidence? It's not there. Yeah, and you're dead. <laughs> yeah, that's like it doesn't matter if they get caught or not. I'm dead. Yeah, yeah. And if it were to go the other way, like, okay, you you had to shoot somebody. Well, I guess you didn't have to, but like. You might have killed somebody. Like, that's not very good either. That's so not like, great. What what are the what so in that discussion, what what good ideas? What were actual good ideas that came out of that discussion? Any anything? Um number one, uh disabling a vehicle is top choice. If if you take out one tire on a vehicle, they're gonna have a very hard time pulling a stock trailer. Sure. You, yep. you take out one tire on the vehicle, one tire on the stock trailer, forget about it. Um, sure. So, but that, that means that you have to get out the front door, right? Uh, 
in for a red. You can see that guy in the bushes. So if you have uh, some way of seeing infrared, like a, a, a infrared scanner eyepiece or something like that, and, you know, you can find them for about three grand. Yeah, three grand. That's a lot. But something like that will point out somebody who's hiding in the, in the bushes or, you know, somebody with a rifle pointed at your front door. Now, if they're using the same thing, which, well, right now they probably wouldn't be using something like that unless they were real pros. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, sure. So you can scan, you can see these people if they're hiding in the bushes with infrared. Uh, so that takes care of that angle. The second thing, have neighbors I can call. That guy pointing a rifle at my front door, he's not going to see a neighbor coming. Well, he might see the neighbor coming, but the thing is, the flank. that neighbor is not going to be going through a door that's in a specific static place and presents a whole new pile of problems for the other, the rest of the crew. Sure. Um, but the gist of the idea of that conversation is if modern society collapses and you call the cops and they're like, yeah, well, we'll show up in a week or two to take a report or the line's dead because nobody's been maintaining the phone systems or, you know, complete collapse of rule of law. Uh, calling the cops all of a sudden is no longer an option. So at first we're going to get a lot of people interested in taking cattle and raiding food supplies and whatnot. Cattle kind of a unprocessed commodity. So you take a herd of cattle, you better have somewhere to put them. And that's a way, some way of processing. Right. Uh, and then you're opening yourself up so that somebody else can come in and take the cattle from you, uh, you know, the same way you took it from somebody else. Uh, so that provides a, a little bit of security there, but not a whole lot. Somebody can come onto the property and take one cow or one steer or, you know, at that point it's like, well, I don't care. I'll just take one animal. It doesn't matter whether it's a steer or a cow or probably not that bull. Uh, and, and I'll just process that for my family for a while. Okay. Still, it's theft. That's a problem. Now, there were a few people who said, call the cops. Okay. That's an option today, but maybe not in a year from now. I don't or, you know, it should rule of law collapse. And call your insurance company to get uh you know uh paid for the cattle that you lost what is jake from oh. state farm gonna show up <laughs> yay because if you can't afford insurance for your cattle you shouldn't be in that business oh okay 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 so let, let's play this out i have cattle i have insurance on the cattle band of thugs comes onto my property 
steals my cattle. I do nothing except for call the cops. What are they going to do? You know, once the cattle are off my property, it's like, okay, uh, so a cow is a cow is a cow. Well, what about the brand markings? What if I don't even have a registered brand? I don't. Um, kind of puts me in a situation. Well, oh, okay, so where's your brand on the animal? I don't have a brand. Well, we could talk to the state brand inspector and report. We'll make a report. We'll never see your animals again, but we'll go ahead and make a report. Oh, thank you. Great. I could yeah. use a report. Fantastic. Uh, so the insurance company uh, will probably go, well, you did get your brand done by, by the state brand inspector and all of that stuff, right? No. What? I mean, we did the brand inspection when I bought them. Okay. Either they're not going to cover it or if they do cover it, let's say they cover it. Great. I go, I buy a whole new herd. Not as nice as the last herd, but I go buy a whole new herd. Hey, I've got new cattle on them there hills. So let's do the calculation from the criminal side. Criminals who just stolen the cattle from me go, hey, there he is. He's got a whole new herd. Well, he didn't do anything last time we stole from him. What do you say? I'm pretty sure an insurance company is not going to want to file more claims very sure. often. So, yeah. so the pacifist, well, call the police and, and, and then call your insurance company and have the insurance company do. No, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because that insurance company is going to go under. As soon as people realize, hey, that guy's cattle get restocked every time we steal from him. Right. So let's steal from him more. Yeah, you're the take a penny, leave a penny, but with cows. And yeah. Just leaving, leaving pennies. Um, I'm curious if there was any like passive uh ways to deal with with potential thieves like, get, everything was so in that discussion everything was so like you need to be like red alert wear like a ghillie suit and camp out and stay up all night to watch the like watch the bushes that's kind of right i got out of it is there anything like passive okay. like deterrence and alarms and stuff yeah um Certain electric fences, including the one that I have here, uh, can be zoned such that if they're cut or a gate is opened or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, it will alert to that zone. So that's a good step in the right direction, as long as we have electricity to run such things. Sure. Uh, cameras are absolutely a possibility. Um, another thing, uh, cattle can be trained to a call. So if you call them in with a little bribe of grain every night you can put them behind walls or something along those lines now we're looking at the possibility of getting a um, uh, an arena for horses 
And while it's for horses, should things start to get really bad, we might turn that arena into a safe place for the cattle every night. We call them, get them moved into the arena. And sure, it might be a little devoid of anything to eat. I mean, we could we could hay them or whatever, but that gets pretty hard to do when you can't get hay. Um, if we put them behind a locked door, it becomes a lot harder to get to them. Sure. A lot easier to surveil them. Uh, people have a tendency of using gates instead of just breaking through fences. Uh, so putting surveillance on gates is not that hard to do. But anywhere that doesn't have a deep road ditch um, can be a potential problem. So putting up uh, hedgerows is fantastic security, but that takes time. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, what, uh, what else can we do? Um, other active things, like once you're alerted, drones are fantastic sure yeah yeah you using a drone to kind of get a, a an above eye view of everything going on on the ground it might be difficult to see people lying in the in the grass which is what your infrared is for and then mm -hmm. if the drone is infrared capable well that makes it so easy you know everything going on Put a little 1022 on your drone. Well, now you're starting to get into part of my specialty in my master's degree from USC. Weaponizing drones? No, just robotics. Oh, that's awesome. We'll have to, maybe we'll have to talk about that a little bit more later, later. Um, wow. I didn't realize that there was, you, you've clearly thought about how to protect your cattle a lot. Like I'm sure it probably keeps you up at night. No, not really. Uh, there, there's a lot of work here that is just kind of don't have to think a lot about what I'm doing and gives me time to get into other thought processes uh i do think about security a lot um uh, as a programmer i have to put that that inside criminal hat on and be able to look at my program and say how can this be exploited uh you know how, how can what i'm doing be exploited to do something bad or how can somebody break this security you know that sort of thing uh, so it directly leads to, okay, here I am, I'm, I'm building a food supply for myself. Um, how is this going to make me vulnerable? Now, one of the biggest advantages of having nothing is that you have nothing to steal. So you're not very interesting to thieves. Uh, as soon as you have something to steal, you become very interesting to thieves. 
And if they're willing to use violence to get it, that puts you at risk. More risk than having nothing at all. Well, in a time of hunger, having food is a lot. And that's a lot to steal. So if people start going hungry or if the prices of food go too high, and, you know, we're, we don't even have to get into any uh, particularly bad situations. The prices are already going up. So it becomes an economic choice. Is it more economically feasible for me to steal, especially considering the risk of getting caught or shot or going and getting food the honest way? And this is a calculation everyone has to do for themselves. My goal is to put my finger onto the scale and say, it's too expensive to steal from me. And really, that's what it comes down to. It's not about making a foolproof security plan. It's about making me look less attractive than somebody else. And ideally, making my community look a lot less attractive to thieves and burglars and so on than uh, whoever else. I do believe we have lost our interviewer. I hadn't realized that uh, you, you'd uh, vanished. Because, oh, yeah. Sorry about that. It's mostly glare on the screen here. So uh, the, um, the inverter that I have hooked up to my truck to get like that's hooked to my router. Uh, uh -huh. it, it just, it just went out. And so I had to go out there and like restart it or whatever. So, uh, thanks for keeping the, the broadcast alive. I don't know. Did I, uh, actually, yes, we are still, because you were, you're still in here. Um, we're, we're still running. So, Oh, oh okay. Well, fantastic. Well, I'll, 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 I'll have to edit that in later, but that, that's fine. Whatever. Um, <laughs> no, nobody's okay. watching. Everyone watches later. So this is fine. Um, well, I, I asked if there were any questions from the, uh, from the audience. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd be able to see them. I think I so. Around a bit to see. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you might be able to see, see, see YouTube comments. I, I can the see the comments. But I don't think I could see anything else. Private yeah. chat is very private, I think. Private chat is just between between you and I. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Comments are like YouTube people are commenting on YouTube and stuff. I see. Um so after that, who who knows when the next one's gonna be, but thank you for still being here. Um let's talk about what have you tried that failed? Like, let's talk about some failures because everyone's got them and everyone likes to hear everyone else is failing at something. Well, drowning my sorrows. <laughs> oh, that, that doesn't work. Uh, let me see. What, what? Uh, you know, there, there are definitely certain things that I wish I'd have planned out better. Um, for one thing, uh, I, lay, I lay down a power line 
going to a pad for the camper. Well, camper needs 50 amps. Okay, I'll lay down a 50 amp cable for that. Great. If something needs 50 amps, don't ever give it a 50 amp cable. Give it a 70 amp cable or, or, or 100 amp cable. Because now I'm looking for the looking at that exact same spot to build a shop. And 50 amps for that shop is grossly underpowered. So I have one piece of equipment that I'm going to put in that shop that requires 70 amps. So plan ahead, but plan bigger than you need. Always. You know, the or same... run it and conduit. Well, yeah. Well, yes. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to install a wire in conduit, use bigger conduit than you need. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I ran uh, a line to the greenhouse thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be used for basically some grow lights, some yeah. fans. That's about it. Now we have a refrigerator in there and we're running <laughs> in there during, during the cold months and it's popping the breaker because I didn't give it enough, uh, enough amperage. Whoops. So yeah, always plan for more than you need. So it's, it's not, you know, not exactly something I tried that didn't work out. Uh, that's more along the line of, something that I didn't plan for well enough. Sure. Yep. I gotcha. That's, I mean, yeah, I think, I think everybody kind of goes through that. Like, um, like I've got a, like a hydrant in the yard. I kind of don't really want it there. I've got a, well, like it's just not a convenient spot or I I'd like five more in other places, you know? Um, and that like doing that kind of stuff is expensive. Yeah. after afterwards um you well, know you gotta... doing uh electrical lines somewhere else um adding plumbing like you know to do for um like let's say like a, if we were to do like a tiny house or like a guest house or lift, sure. like something um anything like that now is now is not a good time to do it <laughs> but i don't know you, you you need time on a piece of property to like really work through all the possibilities and like, what about this? What about that? You know, eh, that's not going to work. And like, well, now that we got this, now that's really not going to work. Um, yeah. That, that, that kind of mentality. That makes, that makes sense. I think that's very relatable. What, what's been the biggest challenge in ranching that you faced? Uh, well, Twitter comments? trying to convince a bunch of cattle that they should be where they're supposed to be. Um, you doing pep talk? Yeah, motivational speaking to cattle. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, this is the first bunch of cattle I have ever had, so I, I need to learn a lot about how cattle move and how not to move them where you don't want them to go. Uh, so the temporary paddocks we use, we, we just use a short stake with a couple of strands of electric wire, pretty simple setup, not a whole lot goes into it. And it's 
perfectly sufficient until something gets the cattle riled up enough to try the electric. Um, we've had horses get in with the cattle and get them moving. You know, that we have a horse that likes to chase cattle. Not cute, but... Um, but also we have coyotes and at one point in time we had a, a paddock and coyotes went and ran the cattle right out of the paddock. Uh, it was not helpful and now all of a sudden we've got cattle cattle kind of all over the place. Uh, we were able to get them back together into some sanity, but uh, uh, I had to learn how to deal with you know, moving the cattle and, you know, we've got livestock guardians for the, for the goats, but would we be able to put those dogs in with a cattle, which would actually be kind of helpful because, you know, coyotes are not going to take down a, a cow or a bull and they're not going to attack a herd. But if they can spook that herd so that it gets splintered out, all over the place and maybe they can get in on a calf well we've got a pretty expensive problem all of a sudden oh yeah so uh you know coyotes will take down a young calf most certainly um so yeah i i'd like to try at some point integrating livestock guardians with cattle and see how it goes but that's that's going to be an experiment and that, that would require us taking at least one or two of our livestock guardians away from the goat herd where they really like the goats and the goats really like them uh, and the goats are more susceptible to that that sort of attack than cattle are uh, the other the other idea is to uh, put the cattle in with um, draft horses hmm donkeys because one big donkey will take care of predators pretty handily i was gonna say i've heard of livestock guardian donkeys like they um they'll stomp the crap out of a coyote oh yeah oh yeah uh they'll stomp the crap out of a, a out of a mountain lion so that would be that would be something to watch uh, something to see. look around I think there's a video of one such uh, activity on on YouTube. Dang, I'll have to look that up. That sounds insane. Um, I've got a buddy. He's actually my very first interview for this. Uh, he runs his livestock guardian dogs with his cattle, and it's been pretty successful, except that there was an instance that a a cow just calved. And the dog got between the cow and the calf, like thinking like, mm -hmm. oh, now I need to protect this calf from this cow. And the cow was like, mm -mm. it charged that dog and like dropped its, how he described it to me. He's like, dude, my, I'm like, I like just showed up to his place like minutes after it happened. And he's like shaking with adrenaline. It's like that cow dropped to like its front knees and steamrolled that dog like on its chest, like on the ground to get like 
to get mm -hmm. back at its calf and yeah. um they could have killed that dog easily easily oh, but yeah. the, the dog seemed fine like surprisingly like you got thousand twelve hundred pounds on your chest like you're gonna yeah. be hurting yeah one of our livestock guardian uh dogs has uh, fought uh grizzly and fought holy cougars. smokes and she is a gem and a half uh, she's the one who gets to be with the goat mamas when they give birth. But we've had to chide her constantly when we have a, a brand new baby that it's not her baby. It belongs to the goat. Now, at one point, we had a little baby goat who thought she had two mamas. And one of them was the dog. It was adorable. But at least she had learned by that point that you know the goat has to be able to have access to its real mom right 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 yeah that's um so are you are you actually considering livestock guardian donkey or just more livestock guardian dogs uh for something like that i think a donkey would be more appropriate um uh, th this is this is kind of a fresh idea in my head so okay. i'm i'm not gonna uh I'm not going to dig too much into it right now. Uh, you know, let's put that donkey on order. Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, this is, this is something that, you know, I'm just thinking of right now. Uh, yeah, sure. Now, as far as dogs are for like uh, um, security against people, fantastic. Except uh, dogs can be bribed dogs can be shot sure. dogs can be poisoned and uh, if people are scouting out their potential victims they'll take care of the dogs before the act happens if they're smart now uh, at one point I, I mentioned you know go back and point out a few things about should there be lapse of rule of law should there be lapse of rule of law, such raids will become <laughs> it's not a painting. Uh, such raids will become common, but the dumb ones will die out quickly, which means that as time goes on, people will become more and more professional and think about what they're doing. And the ones who do a good job will survive and the ones who do a bad job will not. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this is going to, you know, make securing a farm far more complicated. Using dogs as an early alert system is a fantastic idea, but you have to keep your dogs somewhere where you can control what they're eating and that they can see and hear what's going on. Uh, if they're too close to the outside fence, somebody could pass by with some bits of meat and throw the meat in to either bribe the dogs or to poison the dogs. It's very easy to do. Or they'll just do a quick drive by and shoot the dogs in anticipation of a... Uh, a later raid 
Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it just what what do they say about security? Like it's it's all about how difficult you make it. Like anything can be taken. Yeah. It's just level of difficulty. Just as you right. keep increasing the level of difficulty, the uh, risk reward right really gets tipped. Yeah, and and uh, I, I think I think uh, we you lost connection by the time I uh, by the time I touched on that. I said the idea of security is making it less attractive to steal from me than from somebody else. Now, ideally, what you want to do is you want to look around at your neighbors, your community, and say, let's make the whole community less attractive to steal from. Right. Even, even in the case of a loss of rule of law, there's going to be local authority to some degree uh, there might not be there. There might not be federal authority, but you know, there's there's county level, you know, sheriff's office and whatnot. They're still going to be to some degree in business. Um, there might not be uh, uh, state police necessarily, but there could be state cops who live in the area who will still fill that role. Um, so on and so on just because there's a deterioration of command and control does not necessarily mean that people aren't going to do their jobs and maintain a semblance of civilization or there might be a group of battle reenactment guys with a nine-foot spear to maintain law and order (laughs) believe me if it came down to the point where i'm using a spear then all the ammo is gone all of it no you're doing it for sports not because you have to oh oh yeah 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 i i yeah and and it's it's a fantastic sport it 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 has its uses but it's there are not many um and yeah um if if I had to protect my life, my family, my home, my cattle, unless they were inside the home already and I didn't have access to anything else, yeah, my hand would go right past my sword and grab my rifle. <laughs> I know fair. where my bread is buttered. That's, that's totally fair. Yep. It's, uh, it's just amusing. It's an amusing idea, though. Um, what's the best part about ranching? You know, I just love being out here. I got to say, number one, the well, maybe not everybody gets this, but I love the views. This place is stunning, and every single day it's different. You look at the sky, the sky is, it's got personality, and you know, there's snow in the hills that, well, not so much snow anymore. There's still patches here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, every season is different. Uh, I'm out here. I'm getting my hands dirty. Um, I don't go to the gym. Why should I? I, I build great muscle just working at the mill. I'm doing a lot of milling lately. And, uh, you know, milling timbers for my home. 
and it's a great workout. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's, I spent so much of my life tapping away at a computer at a desk. Now, I hardly go inside. I love it. Uh, so, you know, what's my favorite part? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Everything that I do. Even the bad days are better than the best days at a computer. Well, the bad days, the bad days ranching are, I mean, sure. There was a, there was one time, uh, we came home from something or another and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was the dead of winter. Got home only to find that our cattle were on the wrong side of the fence. Oh man. It was minus 22 degrees out there. I think it was 2 AM. We were dead tired and we somehow got all the cattle back on the right side of the fence in those conditions and yeah i, I loved it. it it was it was great it was it's, it's in so many ways it's like we're you know wearing your shoes with rocks on them so, because it's so great to take them off so, <laughs> but but then again you know they say yeah i had that rock in my shoe <laughs> that's funny um, so the reenactment thing, you're, you're also a blacksmith. Do you like make your own like swords and weapons and stuff? I make my own armor. I'm working on my own swords. I've, I've made knives. I'd like to get into making axes. I haven't tried axes yet. Um, I do a lot of pattern welding. Um, so, you know, a lot of people call it Damascus. Uh, oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm learning, but you know, it's constantly learning. Um, I do a lot of metal fabrication. Uh, I built my own power hammer. So, uh, that's pretty cool. One pound power hammer. Uh, it's a uh, pneumatic. The, the thing is amazing. It helps me so much with my work. Um, I suppose if you're using like with like, you know, to build your armor, I'm assuming it's plate and then you have, you know, got to get all these curves and contours and stuff. That's what you're talking about. Um, yeah, well, uh, actually armor is usually worked cold and a lot of that I, I do by hand. Oh, okay. uh, I've gotten into doing some hot work, you know, you know, with armor. Um, but a lot of that is, is for things like helmet halves so you know you, you curve out it, it starts off looking kind of like a flat football shape and then you dish it out into a half of a helmet and you put two halves together and weld them up mm -hmm. um that's like modern how they how they put that together but um back in the day they would have started with a big disc and then formed the whole helmet out of the disc Oh, sure, a sure. A lot of it. Uh, but that takes a lot of heat. There's a lot of material loss. Uh, and uh, you, you, get some, you get some very interesting thicknesses in the raised helmet. Um, I can see that. 
stuff that you know, I'm trying to think back because it's been years now since I've done a lot of this stuff. Uh, I'd like to get back into it, I, but right now I don't even have a shop here. So. Someday, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Probably probably by uh, by winter I'll have a shop here that I can work in because I'm going to need to start making door hinges and whatnot for the builds. Um, make your own door hinges. That'd be awesome. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When, when you want, you know, good looking flowery hinges that, you know, somebody can look at and they won't be able to say, I saw those at home Depot. Oh, what are you going to do? You know, uh, make your own hinges. Um, cause why not? Why not add another thing? I, I do a lot. Well, hinges are, not hard to make and uh and, and they go pretty quickly and have having handmade hinges that's just so cool um i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not disputing that i'm just like it's cool it's cool to have a hinge but i mean think about how many doors you have and then three hinges and are you gonna have custom cabinet hinges as well are you gonna that, that might be a little like, bit that's pretty fine when you start doing cabinet hinges. I mean, can I do cabinet hinges? Sure. But would I want to do cabinet hinges for a kitchen full of cabinets? I'll, I'll do the pot hanger thingy. Thanks. There you go. Yeah, you can make one of those. Turn one out pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. Those rustic looking like nails or whatever um, that you can get like a pack on Etsy or something like that for like 10, 20 bucks. Like those, those are cool. That would be that would be a sweet like little like aesthetic also. Well, yeah, uh, one of the biggest things about blacksmithing that you know there, there are a lot of people. I want to become a professional blacksmith. Oh, okay, that's cool. That's really cool. The thing is, you have to find what sells, and what usually sells are the little tiny things that you can make in no time at all. But you want to make them by the hundreds, sure. so that you can sell them for very little and still be able to make a living. So, um, there's a, a fantastic hammer exercise where you take a, um, a one half by one half square, uh, stock bar and you make a leaf out of it. Well, that leaf can be used to make a coat hook or it can be used to make any one of a gazillion different things but this is a fantastic exercise because it teaches you hammer control with uh, um, rounding hammers uh, and you know um, this is an exercise that uh, Alec, Alex Steele learned from the guy who taught him I don't remember the guy's name uh, but you know th that's a fantastic exercise for learning hammer control but it also makes a marketable product if you want to set up a little stand with your, you know, blacksmithing goods, sure, yep. it doesn't take a whole lot of time. It takes more time if you're using steel than say copper, but you know, you can make one of those in two heats and copper with steel. It's more like, well, I don't remember. It's a lot, um, maybe 10 heats or so, uh, depending upon how flat you want your, you know, how you want your leaf to turn out. Right. But, uh, yeah, making nails uh, requires a nail plate. That's in, in, you just take a thin piece of metal, put, put it in the nail plate, and then smash out the head of the nail. Uh, 
and long and short of it, that, that'll do it. Um, but yeah, rustic nails, they're cool. <laughs> Did you ever say how you got into blacksmithing? Oh, my goal was to make myself a nice sword. Well, I have the technology. I have the know-how. Uh, I just need the get around to it. And I still want to make a really cool sword. But now I want to make more than one because, I mean, what's the point of making one? You got two hands. But I also want to make a lot of armor. I also want to make a lot of cool things. There's, uh, there's no end to the cool stuff that I want to be able to do. And, hey, I get to play with fire. The old adage, you play with fire, you get burnt. Okay. I get burnt. A lot. Just like, I get I get shocked as an electrician more than I'd like. I mean, it's been a little while, but it happens. You sure? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit out of practice, but uh, um, my hands were very heat insensitive. <laughs> uh, it, it didn't bother me at all to be holding on to something uh, with a gloved hand of course and my gloves like smoking <laughs> I, it didn't, didn't bother me at all jeez so, yeah it's, you get uh, back there someday right <laughs> yeah give me some time to actually get some stuff set up around here there you go um what skills are you currently building Milling, 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 milling. Are you, are you still enjoying it? Yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's 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 good. It's I'm I'm making lumber like nobody's business, and it's good lumber. It's solid stuff. But I'm mostly interested in making timbers because the lumber that I create, it's like, well, I need to remove this much material to get down to the timber size that I want, and there's all this you know curvature to the log, and well. I can either make slab wood, which, okay, yeah, sure, it's great for firewood. Uh, maybe I could side something with some slab wood because that kind of looks cool too. Mm -hmm. But I could also make lumber, and I can make a lot of lumber while I'm, you know, getting the, the timbers that I want. So hopefully by the time I have a need for lumber, this lumber will be usable still. Uh, but I'm making a lot of timbers for a timber frame and those guys are huge. We're talking six by 10, six by 12s, 10 by 10s, 10 by 14s, big stuff. Jeez. No wonder you get a, you get a workout being at the mill. Do you have, I'm not, picking up, I'm not picking up a lot of the timbers once they're cut. <laughs> I'm just picking up the slab wood and the lumber because, you know, sure, it's a one-inch board. How heavy is a one-inch thick board? Depends on how long it is, I guess, and how wide. 18 feet long and 18 inches across. <laughs> I have a hard time lifting that. Oh, I can I can lift it. I can carry it. It's But it's like, it's not light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if it's like a 2 by 12 18 feet long yikes that yeah that's some that's got some weight to it but it's also wet 
that's even worse yeah so uh all of all of the timbers for the timber frame are going to be installed wet so that when they shrink as they inevitably will mm -hmm. the um the joinery tightens up sure and what we were able to slip together when we put it together won't be able to slip apart when once it's dry so um i'm running a wood miser lt35 hydraulic it is amazing the log handling capabilities on that thing is, is just it's phenomenal uh, it it has a log turner that is my best friend in the world right now i bet so Sorry, there's a stinking fly in here um do you have timber frame experience nope so what am i learning yes everything <laughs> uh, i'm very much the well uh, okay so what am i what am i going to be doing okay i'm very much the kind of person who's going to jump in both feet without testing the water and you know what if i don't know how to swim uh, i'll figure it out you know that's fine i'll just kick harder yeah sure yeah sure I, I, I hadn't driven a tractor with a loader. I think, I think I might've driven one back when I was 16, but it wasn't very much. Sure. Yep. So now I have a tractor with a loader with a grapple. That's more interesting. And I'm almost to the point where I can pick up a toothpick with it. And you know it. Pretty I'm, I'm pretty good with it now. Um, I can eyeball things, you know. So I cut the wood on the mill. I pick it up with a grapple, and I take it over to a stack of timbers. And it's a pretty tight stack of timbers, but it, everything has to be stickered out so that it dries evenly and whatnot. And I have to put the wood onto the stack so that it's not like a pile of randomly placed timbers turning into a big mess. Well, it's a little difficult when the wood is many hundreds of pounds and I'm using a tractor to put it there. It, it gets a little bit touchy. So I've gotten pretty decent at doing that without any guidance at all. With a little bit of guidance, I can put it exactly where I want it. Sure, yeah. So... You know, tractoring, that's totally new to me. Um, you know, running a skid steer. I never ran a skid steer before. Well, nope, never ran a skid steer before this year. So that's that's totally new to me. Uh, now it's like second nature. Um, I'm doing a lot more trailer driving than I've done before. Don't need a trailer when you're a programmer. Living in a condo. <laughs> Unless you're living in a trailer. I'm living in a trailer. Yeah. I mean, as a programmer, because you can't afford rent. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm living in a trailer because I don't have a house on this property yet. Oh, that's a um, lifestyle choice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a matter of choice. I mean, do I have a house? Yeah. Yeah, like 10 of them. <laughs> like I said, uh, um, you know, m most of my income actually comes from 
uh, rentals. Nice. So I've got, sweet. I've got lots of rental properties right now. Uh, so it's not like I don't have a place to live. It's that where I used to live before I moved here is about an hour's drive from here. I still own that home. I'd like to sell it because that'll give me a lot of liquidity I need. Uh, but I still have a bunch of stuff there. All my blacksmithing stuff is still there. All my wood shop is still there. Uh, well, most of my wood shop. Um, most of my tools are still there. All of my desktop computers and furniture and all that other stuff. You know, when you buy a camper to live in, live in, um, it's already furnished. Right. Yep. You get your pots and pans, your plates and bowls, a couple of mason jar for, jars for glasses, because, you know, why would you put other glasses than mason jars in a camper? That doesn't make sense. Um, right. You know, fine crystal. No, it'll break mason jars all the way. You don't seem like the fine crystal type anyways. No, no, no. Uh, no. You do that stuff, you lose your teeth and get really skinny. It's terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, but you get a lot done. I, yeah, I've heard, I've heard, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, would you, what would you tell people that want to get started ranching, homesteading, farming, any of that? Well, um, don't try to start a farm and build a house at the same time, unless <laughs> you absolutely have to, and you don't need a job. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a lot to do. That's a lot sure, to do, yeah, a lot yeah. to jump into, uh, suddenly. And, uh, there, there were things that we didn't know that we needed like, uh, okay. So, so at the beginning of this whole deal, my older brother passed away and, um, there was a, a, a dispute regarding his estate. Hmm. Now his house and his property belonged to a trust. There was no dispute there, but there were two containers sitting on that property that, you know, they're the big shipping containers. The thing is they're titled separately, even though he bought them with the house, they belonged to him personally. Therefore they're part of the estate and they couldn't go with the house. Well, we couldn't find anywhere to store them. We needed to sell the house. We, you know, because the house being in a, in a trust, there's no dispute there. So we needed to find a place for these containers to go. And we couldn't find anywhere. So my twin brother, yes, I'm a twin. Uh, and I decided we'll just move them here. I didn't want the containers. What I didn't realize is that I needed the containers. The container, not the contents? The contents, yeah, whatever. For the most part, the contents, just some scrap metal. Uh, my bicycle from when I was a teenager. Wait a second. How did that end up <laughs> there? A, a, a few other things. Very little of value. But now they're loaded with animal feed they've got 
couple of freezers in there, uh, storage shelves for jars for milk and, and all kinds of other stuff. Um, uh, tools and extra saw blades for the mill, etc. We yeah. needed these containers. I had no idea. You locked into it. Well, kind of. I mean, the thing is, uh, shipping the containers here cost more than the containers were worth, but we couldn't sell them. We could. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't sell what was in them. But hmm. now that the estate has sorted out, well, I guess I have a couple of containers plus contents. There you go. Now you got a place to put your stuff while you're working on all 87 of your things, whatever you're doing. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, 87, yes. Oh, yeah. I've got a creek. I haven't dipped my feet into it. Is that a metaphor for something? No, that's quite literal. I Literally put your feet in a I creek. I have not put my feet in, into the water of that creek yet because I've been that busy. Oh, okay. Oh, I'd love like, to. Like, like ever or just this year? I haven't been here that long. Oh. Last year it was dry. Uh, and up until the snow started to melt, it was dry. Hmm. Uh, now it's roaring and gorgeous. And I haven't had a chance to put my feet into the water. Damn. I guess I'm holding you up on putting your feet in the creek. So I appreciate, I appreciate your time. Well, I'm enjoying this. Um, and, and this is something that I've felt that, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good thing to do gives me a chance to be famous <laughs> i don't know about that all right calm down calm down <laughs> um if you do have some more time i'd like to ask you some more questions after wrapping this up if that's i possible. have more time awesome um yeah. the sun's just about to tip down which is great because i get to take these off <laughs> so uh what would you like uh, any, anything you want to wrap up on um, specifically or just like, no, follow me on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, um, I'm not consciously trying to build a Twitter following surprise. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just make a, an occasional post and it's and there, function, I guess, uh, you know, whatever. I got I, you. I'm cool with that. Um, I just do my own thing, you know, uh, what can I say? Look out for your community. Make sure you have a community worth looking out for. Um, you know, get to know, get to know your neighbors, get to know your folk. Um, you know, who has what, who needs, uh, if you see to your neighbor's needs, you offer a fair price. When you need them, they'll be there to help you. And this is something that we've been working on. We haven't been here for very long, but community is one of the things that we've been trying to build as quickly as possible. And we've uh, we've gotten in touch with local groups and made a lot of friends since we've been here. 
uh, if you have something that you can offer your community, offer it. And, uh, you know, people, people are in need of what you have. So, uh, our main markets here, our main market, number one main market is raw milk and people want it very badly. Uh, we haven't even really gotten into the goat's milk this year, but mm. that is a fantastic, easy market to get into. If, if you need to start up a workable living on a low budget, get some goats, rotate them on some grass, milk them, and you can actually live on that. Uh, as long as it's legal in your area. And even if it isn't legal in your area, Hey, you, you can still do that as long as the, uh, as long as you manage your customer base. Right. That's right. They're wild goats. I don't know how they got here. I've actually been trying to get rid of them. <laughs> well, uh, one of the things that you can do is you could set up, um, a cooperative where your goat herd is owned by the collection of your customers and they contract with you to extract the milk for them right hmm, yes and i'm not drinking the milk it's for my animals <laughs> well no the the they own well it's perfectly legal to have your own goat and milk it too uh why not expand to the idea of having a share of a goat herd and having some, you know contracting with somebody else to milk that goat for a particular price uh if if raw milk is not legal in your area, there, there are ways around that, that you can work with that. Uh, luckily, raw milk is now legal here. And uh, nice. we've been taking advantage of that fully. Good. So, and, and our customers, well, we can't keep up with our customers' demand. With three milk cows going full-time it's, it's it's amazing nice well let's let's wrap it up there uh all right i've got i've got more questions for you so hang tight really quick uh you are oh crap at i don't even know how to say this word Og, <laughs> oglibate oglibate warnicor uh, so, so, um, obligate carnivore was taken and I'll swap, uh, consonants quite often because it, it has some interesting ling linguistic effects sometimes. Mm. Uh, so I just did that to the name and that, <laughs> uh, the link. Yeah. I'll post a link and uh, so people can learn more about how to best uh, protect the cattle that they have or may not have or oh, um, whatnot. Believe me, for the most part, I just ask questions, but it's questions important to ask questions. Yeah. You ask the right questions, you get answers you need. Yes, very much so. Um, so, yeah, for everybody else, uh, follow us, Farm Hop Life pretty much everywhere and thank you for watching i thank you for your time appreciate you sticking with me through the power outage this year it's been insane weather like 
yeah, whatever. Um, we had that yesterday. Yeah, we we got it. I think we got it yesterday and today. So it's just been it's been insane, insane, insane. But but yeah. Anyways, to prevent my rambling, I'm gonna close this and I'm gonna ask you some more questions. So hey, look at that. I changed shirts. Good interview with Warlord Ranger. What a fascinating guy with his depth of knowledge on tons and tons of stuff. It was really fun getting into the weeds on some of the things. Thanks for watching everyone and dealing with the audio quality and um, cutting out and everything um, after starting and coming back and I realized that I didn't plug in a microphone so that's why it doesn't sound very good. Leave a comment, like, subscribe, but most importantly share this video. That's honestly how we grow. Just sharing. Check out our website, formhoplife.com. You can sign up for our email list or our Telegram channel there to be notified when new videos, interviews, and podcasts are available. We are on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Mewe, and Float. You can send me a message, formhoplife.com slash contact, or you can email me anytime, matt at formhoplife.com. Go to the same spot. I'm always looking for new people to interview. If you want to come on to talk about homesteading, farming, food security, homeschooling, regenerative agriculture, alternative building methods, just go to farmhoplife.com slash guest and fill out the form. Go feed yourself. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead, thinking this was the life, all that there'd be. After our firstborn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started Farm Hop Life. We'll come to your farm to help and to wander. Me and the family, a trunk and an RV, send us a message and there.